1: Glad you're listening, and as I like to remind you every show, if you liked what you heard, uh, pass it along to friends of yours, because all these shows are on podcast ad infinitum. Matter of fact, if you just go up to our guest list, you'll see uh, quite a roster of uh, racing personalities uh, that we've had over the years here at Winning Ponies. Well, let's see now. Today... We're going to have a gentleman that I've respected very much in the industry, but have never had him on the show. His name is Ed Edward Bowen uh he's the author of 18 books we're going to talk about uh, the lucky 13 which is talking about the uh 13 triple crown winners that's a new book out you know this time of year i always like to remind you that uh christmas is right around the corner and if you're looking for gifts for friends and family members uh, nothing like a book of racing to curl up with next to the christmas fire so uh ed's uh that's the most recent practice he had, but he is just a legend as a journalist and a historian in in thoroughbred racing. He's written 21 books besides the new one. Uh, now, he served as full-time president of the Grayson Jockey Club Research Foundation, which, you know, they're the leading source of private funding for veterinary research Uh, that benefit all horses, Uh, but uh, boy, you got to go back when he was working as a writer for 30 years. Mostly, I remember with the Blood Horse, where he served as managing editor and editor-in-chief, And uh, his list of accomplishments, uh, the Eclipse Award for Journalism, National Turf Writers Association's Walter Hyde Award, the Kentucky Thoroughbred Association's Charles Englehart No Relation Award, and the Old Hilltop Award for the Best Story on the Preakness Stakes. So, very accomplished and knows a lot about the history of racing. So, Ed will be our first guest. And our second, I always love when we have this writer on, Mary Rampolini from the Daily Racing Forum. Now, you've got uh, a lot of good races uh, series at Gulfstream Park. Uh, You've can go down to New Orleans. Uh, There's uh, a lot of series of races there. And then, of course, the races we're going to talk about at Remington are on Sunday with Mary Rampolini. So uh, she's going to kind of give us a leg up. Of course, the big race there that has derby points involved is the Remington Springboard Mile, $400,000. And there are derby points involved. Steve Asmussen, who's the leading trainer at Remington Park, comes in with a trio of very diverse horses. One of them come out of three consecutive grade one events, uh, including the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. His name is Shoplifted. He'll get a lot of attention. But this horse, uh, Rowdy Yates, two for two at Remington. After competing at Ellis Park and Churchill Downs, won the Ellis Park Juvenile, and since then has come out back-to-back stakes. Uh, This is an Oklahoma bred, trained by Steve Asmussen. Uh, Richie Aramia in the saddle and uh, so Rowdy Yates has to be considered and let's not forget Jungle Runner who's coming off a stakes win another horse it's two for two at Remington so Asmussen's going to be loaded for bear on Sunday and we're going to talk to Mary Rampolini about that of course with all this diverse racing. Uh, It's kind of hard. You're all over the place with your handicapping. Well, we got some one-stop shopping for you here at Winning Ponies. Uh, We got the easy win forms for you. And we've had, uh, as always, very good uh, recent success. Uh, let's go back. Just yesterday at Golden Gate, a $1 pick five from the Easy Win Forms created a payoff of $6,449. Uh, now, we're talking about a good series of races at Gulfstream Park. Easy Wind Forms have been doing well down there. Uh, we had a $1 Super 5 that paid $2,978. And another one just four days ago uh, paid It's $1 Super High, paid Two thousand seventy nine dollars. I can't read them all, but you can go on over to winningponies.com com and you can read about uh, the successes that uh, that they've had. <clears throat> all right, that's a look at our guest and some of the races we're going to be looking at now. Uh, the the Jockeys Guild. This is going to be very interesting. What's uh, going to be coming up because there are cries for. Uh, The whip being next to not used, uh, extremely restricted in horse racing, Uh, but uh, it's the opinion of the jockey's guild, which of course is made up of the most highly regarded and respected jockeys, that the the current riding crops are humane. Um, I don't know if you've seen them. The old days, if you tapped yourself in the leg with a whip, yowza, you felt it, but now they have what they call I believe a soft core whip and uh, even when you see them you can see them they're fatter it looks like they're filled with cotton it's just to get a horse's attention and certainly uh, jockey's do use them when they have to as far as getting horses out of trouble or into a hole that it needs to go through uh, to help change leads. And with some of the restrictions that the California Horse Racing Bureau going to put on them, it's, it's kind of crazy. I was talking to Jeff Johnston from the Guild tonight. And he was just very disappointed in a ruling that came out this afternoon at Los Alamitos. What they're pushing for is that a jockey can have a whip, but he can only hold it in his hands while he has the rein, and the whip has to be facing downward. Now, what happens when the jockey goes to change his whip? It's not going to be facing downward. But so, in other words, the best he could do was a slight tap at the whip. And as you know, you see it a lot. When horses are coming out of the gates, they'll veer in or out. and The jockey will take the whip and tap on the shoulder uh, to get them back straight and away. Well, if they're limited to, let's say, six taps of a whip during a race, do those three in correcting the horse coming out of the gate count? Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. Now, I believe there's a 45-day hiatus, or at least a comment period, on uh, the restrictions that the CHRB uh, wants to wants to put on them. And I've just used a couple that that Jeff told me about uh, earlier today. But uh, they're talking about moving in this direction. And, you know, what if you got a horse that needs the encouragement or a horse that won't go up in the hole and you bet on him? You know, it's like, come on, get up in there, you know, and all of a sudden he's not going to be able to because he used up his six taps. Uh, you know, and Aaron Grider he said, look, the riding crop's not a weapon. It's a tool to get the horse's attention. It's not there to hurt a horse. It's about the attention. And the other thing. Uh, whether you know it or not, is horses after the race come back uh, for an inspection from any racing official and the track vet who uh, looks for uh, any sign of uh, cuts or welts. And that's already in the rule book. So uh, again, I I think with the older whips, uh, perhaps you saw more of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, even the guild says if anybody abuses a horse, uh, they, they ought to be punished. Uh, but the crap that you have today, you could take one and crack yourself in the leg. You won't even feel it. Um, it's just a tool to protect the horse and the rider and the better as far as I'm concerned. I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, how many times have you seen a horse shy away from trying to go up a, into a sticky situation and it can make or break uh, the, the bet that you made so uh, anyhow I'm going to try to get uh, Carrie Meeks who heads up the guild next week and we'll continue this conversation further uh, but it is going to be very very interesting All right, some uh, quick nut surprises uh, I read Ortiz uh, repeats as turf jockey of the year for 2019 and uh, Last year, he earned twelve point six million in total starts across uh, there and. now his total earnings for all races just on the turf are $17.9 million. He won 39 turf stakes. Seven of his stakes victories were in grade one events, including five grade one wins with the same horse, Bricks and Mortar, who may well be our horse of the year. So anyhow, no surprise here. I Ortiz, Turf Jockey of the Year. Our comeback jockeys, Miguel Mania and Kendrick Karamuch Uh, they tied for comeback jockeys of the year both of them overcame uh, injury to come back and be extremely successful this year and a name that you're starting to hear especially out on the west coast is Abel Cedillo he won breakthrough jockey of the year and I think we're going to uh, hear a lot uh, from this guy Uh, and 2019, he won 10 of his 65 stakes starts compared to just 2 in 21 last year, so he certainly is the breakthrough jockey. Uh, good news here, champion sister Charlie's going to come back for another season. Boy, she was something else when she came back from her freshening, uh, won the Diana at Saratoga, and then became the first horse in history to win consecutive editions of the Beverly D uh, with a 3 link win over the of course in international field. She said course record that day and in her best final start of the season she won the flower bowl stakes and uh she finished third in the breeders cup philly and mare so she's still up for uh, an eclipse award sister charlie from the chad brown barn will be back which i think is very very good news uh well uh Let's take a look at some of the races that we looked at last week and some that we overlooked uh, over the holiday season. How about the Cigar Mile, folks? Hope you tuned in to that maximum security sent away at six to five spun to run at two to one and they ran one two with maximum security and louis say just running away from the field this horse has just shown so much this season now nine starts seven wins and a second uh Earnings closing in on $2 million. Uh, That was a $750,000 grade one, the Cigar Mile. So maximum security. Looks like he's probably got three-year-old of the year locked up. Would he be a contender for horse of the year? We'll find out. But game there and challenging him most of the way was spun to run. And in the third spot at 32-1, to hope you had him in your trifectas, was True Timber. It was a very good card at Aqueduct. The other one that we looked at last week was the Remsen Stakes and Schotsky. I wonder if that's named after that uh, St. Bernard of Marge Schatz. Uh, Shotsky. she had a dog named that. Anyhow, early speed, 8-1 to one, with Luis Sayez in the saddle. Uh, ever since this horse has switched to Blinkers, he's been a new horse, and the son of Blame got the job done. They tried to close, but just couldn't get there on Shotsky. Uh Second was Aja Weed at 4-1, to one, and third was the one, Chase Tracker. So these are horses that are going to be pointing towards the Derby Trail. And... Uh, that pretty much rounds out the races we looked at and i didn't get a chance to mention a lot of races over the holiday weekend but that's because we took up too much time last week so uh that's a look at the big races that's a look at the national news some of it's controversial and when we come back we're gonna talk to ed bowen a guy that has uh, probably had to add on to his mantle over his lifetime for all the awards that he's written for his journalism. So for Winning Ponies, I'm John Engelhart. Let's take a break and we'll be back with Ed Bowen.
2: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart.
1: All right, and with me, a gentleman I'm surprised I haven't had on earlier, but there's a good buzz about his new book about the Triple Crown uh, called The Lucky 13. So don't let that number fool you. It's uh, not bad luck for the 13 horses uh, that are Triple Crown winners, but it would take a real historian and an outstanding journalist uh, to to do the homework on this one. The thing about Ed Bowen is – He's probably covered so many of these horses, has written horses or researched about the Triple Crown winners that I won't call it easy, but the guy had just an amazing background already on the Triple Crown. But before we get to his book, I want to talk a little bit about Ed Bowen. Ed, how does the day find you?
3: And we had a nice cold day in Kentucky today, but no snow and no slush or anything. So good shape.
1: Well, Ed, you know, I've, I've seen you around town for a lot. Our paths have cost many way. Uh, but I'm going to go back uh, when you were the managing editor, editor-in-chief of the Blood Horse. And you guys were in a smaller office. I don't expect you to remember this, but I do succinctly, is I went down there as a young photographer with some – Eight by tens. I had taken at the races at Keeneland on the backstretch in the morning and uh, just walked in the offices and said, hi, you don't know me. Can I see Ed Bowen? And uh, they called you, called you and said, hey, some guy's here with an envelope. You know? <laughs> Do you want to see him? And he said, yeah. You came right out of your office. And we sat down together and I, t- I told him, I said, look, I said, I've been, you know, running around Keeneland. I mean, this was my own dark room, black and white. And I said, can I show you some pictures? The one horse I remember specifically, I believe it was a Calumet horse by the name of Sugar and Spice. And... Uh, you you were so gracious that day uh, that you didn't say, hey, man, you know, come back in 10 years or anything like that. You looked at my photos. You you, you complimented them, uh, you know, to a point. You said, look, you know, hang in there. Uh, I think I gave you the envelope. I don't know where what file you put them in. I said, well, here, I've already made the effort. Keep these if you have need for them. Fine. But, I mean, Ed here's something that, you know, you you don't know, I guess it's what the 10 people you die when you meet get to heaven, that how you helped influence their life is that, you know, you told me, hey, your stuff's good. Stick with it. I'm glad you got the interest. And I walked out of there feeling like you just gave me a 100 bucks for a photo and I didn't get a dime. But I did get moments of your time and the consideration that you took to break up your day for a young photographer unannounced. So I just want to tell you from a personal sp- standpoint, thank you.
3: Well, I do remember that. And I remember uh, making sure that I got your name right because it was close enough to Inglehard, the great owner of Nijinsky, that I was afraid I would call you the wrong thing. But anyway, and I remember Sugar and Spice, I believe she was a uh, sister to Alidar, is that right? Or something like I, that. Anyway, she I was, think so. She was a re- really nice silly, yeah.
1: But uh, th- that's funny. And uh, speaking of the Englehart Award, I think that's another trophy that's up on your shelf uh, uh, that, right. that yeah. perhaps skipped over. But uh, Ed, let's go back real quick. I-, I know that you had some exposure to the horses uh, as a young man, I believe, through your father. Can Can you bring us through the early years and then your transition to making it to Lexington?
3: Well, uh, my father liked horses and, uh, he, he was of the age where, you know, horses were, you, you, you got to work on them. You worked with them in the fields and so forth. So he thought horse racing was a kind of superfluous use of a horse, but I, we had riding horses when I was a kid and I had the good fortune to, uh, be old at the age when the, Black stallion books were coming out, and yeah. my brother and I had an aunt who sent us those. And living in South Florida, we got to watch the races, uh, the Wednesday and Saturday stakes at High Lea and Gulfstream. So those three things kind of coalesced to get me interested in horse racing, and I just uh, have been blessed ever since to, uh, I got interested at the age of 10 in a subject that, uh, uh that has supported me. Uh, as a, a salaried position almost ever since. So that was really, really good luck. But I I really just fell for it. And you can imagine being a kid and uh, you just read about this wonderful what he's called the Flamingo Stakes. That's a prep for the Kentucky Derby. And two weeks later, they're running it on television at Hialeah. So it just uh, seemed like this is this is wonderful.
1: Well, as you know, we both have a great appreciation for the game and the animal, uh, and con- considering uh the things you learned and have been able to apply uh, extremely intelligent as is the fact that for about 15 years you were the full-time president of the Grayson Jockey Club Research Foundation. Uh, in 15 years that's a, that's a pretty good resume. What changes did you see then and you see us moving forward to as far as research on the equine animal?
3: Well, you're giving me credit for being younger than I am. Actually, i had that position for just just under twenty five years. I retired wow. at the end of last year. My uh, math is terrible. The thing that was the things that were so incredibly gratifying were uh, a the generosity of people in the game in terms of trusting you, giving you money, trusting you to make sure it went to the best research. And then those things that that you can look back to and say were, uh, were were significant in helping the horse. Uh, that uh, I think the news that came out today about uh, uh, shockwave therapy, which was a, 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 one of those treatments that's very good if used properly, but it can be a danger because you're you're taking away pain from a horse that. You haven't solved the problem. You've just masked the pain. And uh, knowing that research we did some years ago uh, identified how long, I mean, I think most racing commissions follow the research that we funded at Iowa State in terms of how long you should go after a treatment of shockwave therapy before you ask that horse for for a, a, a major athletic effort. Because you wanted to make sure he was, he was, uh, he was not just being protected from the pain while the problem was still there. So that was, that's just one example of where you think, gosh, we we not only helped uh, 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 marshal the generosity of the game, the people in the game, but here's here's a concrete thing that helped the horse. And uh, and I think you know it's been five, maybe six years since uh, a wonderful. A uh, researcher at the University of Kentucky came to me with wanting us to do a story on our website about bisphosphonates and the threat of them. And, uh, here we are. That is, that has been discovered. What she warned us about was exactly right. Bisphosphonates is a, it's almost mysterious to say this is good for a horse four years and older, but it's dangerous to a horse younger than that. And, uh, to have a sense that we were kind of helping people learn things like that is that's that's a really gratifying thing for you know for what we were what we were doing and what Grayson continues to do
1: now Ed Ed Bowen uh, we're speaking with Ed I just want to get I don't want to get off on the uh medication angle but by fascinates I mean that almost sounds like was that what they used to call milkshakes back in the old days
3: no, no, it isn't. Uh, the phosphonates is a separate type of of medication, and like I say, it, it's really helpful to a horse that's uh, four and up. But but uh, if you if you begin to give it to a horse earlier than that, it impedes rather than helps bone development. But it's uh, it, it, it ha- I know what you mean. It, it sounds like that. Uh, I heard that it, fast. It, it, it's not <laughs> that. Yeah, right, right.
1: Yeah, I, I won't yeah. be getting getting at the local ice cream parlor anyhow. Well. Uh, <laughs> Ed, you know, I guess we could probably spend a better part of a whole hour talking about your experience uh, uh, with the uh, with the Grayson Foundation, but we got to move it on over, move it on up. Uh, you know, you, you've written so many books, but uh, not now the the last one that that uh, that you've taken on is the uh, the Triple Crown winners. Called, I love the title, the Lucky Thirteen. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm just wondering. You think now's the time to write it because it seemed like, oh, oh here we are back into the 70s you know, with secretariat and slew and affirmed, and now, you know, that we've uh, had justify an American pharaoh, I got a feeling, a word for another rude awakening in that this is no easy task. Just because a a gener a modern generation said the chance to see triple crown winners, I wouldn't expect it every year, kids. And that's why these people are called the lucky 13. I was also really got my ire up at when people were, when there was that gap and they were saying no, we've got to change the distances. we got to stretch the timeouts. And I'm like, no, that's why these <laughs> horses are called great. This is why they're called champions, because they overcame those obstacles. I trust you feel the same way.
3: Oh, I agree. And I, I'm old enough. I've lived through the 25-year gap, most of that 25-year gap from, from citation to secretariat, and then the you know free, free within the 70s, and then the 37-year gap. So uh, when people, it's one of those things when people say, well, you've been in this game a long time. What's the explanation for that? And you can say, I don't care how long you've been in the game. There is no explanation for going 25 years and then three and then 37 years. But uh, when, I, when I was given this assignment, I was contacted by the publisher, and we were going to call the book The Divine Dozen. Well, <laughs> within a month, uh, I thought, well, I've got, a new, I've got a new chapter to write. Surely my advance will go up a bit, won't it? But no, no, no. <laughs> the fee stays the same, even though he's got one more chapter. But it's just a personal way of illustrating the the unpredictability of it and uh, the fact that there were between uh, Affirmed and... Uh, and american fair where there were 13 horses who uh who won the first two and uh, couldn't couldn't finish the job and i think the uh, i was discouraged uh that people began to think that uh, this this the triple crown should somehow be made a little easier uh so that you could have it won more and i'm i'm so thrilled that uh, that it has stood the test of time and uh it, it there is no reason to change it. It is a, it's, it's a, it's a marvelous uh, series. And it takes, you know, when we say luck, it's not that the horse had to be lucky in every way that he had to have the luck to be endowed with the, all the, all the ingredients to do it. And then have the, the lack of bad luck to ha- not have something come along and, and get in his way. Like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, a horse getting injured, or uh, in yeah. the way of uh, of some of those horses just just got a little bit. They just were a little bit tired, and uh, so you've got to you got to be lucky to be endowed with all those qualities and have a trainer who understands you and a, and a jockey, and then like I say, not not have anything go wrong. They well, are Risen, all wonderful, Risen, wonderful horses.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, like Risen Star and Little Current. They had their bad race up front, and both of them had troubled trips, and then they went on to prove how good yeah. they were.
3: Um, oh, exactly. There's so many horses that uh, that had uh, that won too. I'll tell you an interesting statistic that shows you the importance. To me, it illustrates the importance of the Triple Crown, even in an era when you've had the rising importance of the Haskell and the greatness of the Travers and the Breeders' Cup. In those uh, those years between uh, uh, Affirmed and uh, American Pharaoh, there were a total of twenty horses who won two thirds of the Triple Crown, but didn't not the third either. They won the Derby and Preakness, or the Derby and Belmont, or the Preakness and Belmont. There were twenty of them, and nineteen were the three-year-old champion of their year. So that Triple Crown series. It doesn't. You don't have to win them all to be to, to to really show that you are a champion, and that's what makes the thirteen so so particularly exalted. Because really, really great horses won two of the three, and to you know to to do that whole thing and win all three is is really remarkable
1: absolutely again what we're uh we're uh, talking with ed bowen who's uh plenty of uh credentials to his name the most recent is the author of the lucky 13 ed i wanted to ask you this question of the triple crown winners that we have established uh who in your opinion from your research was perhaps the most unlikeliest
3: oh my golly that's a that's i i've been asked ask who is the best but uh the most unlikely that is really a great question and uh, you have to be able to go back and say i'm going to evaluate this horse on the basis of what I would have said if he was a yearling and uh, i'm uh, I'm guessing that you would probably think that uh, assault was because he was a he was small he had been injured as a wing wing he had a kind of a they called him the club-footed comet. He wasn't really <laughs> club-footed, but he had, even as an older horse, he had a awkward gait in the younger and the lower, slower paces. But magically, <laughs> running, he was uh, he was good. But uh, I would say that that because he was a small horse and uh, and been injured, that that was probably the 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 one that was most unlikely. All, although he was very well bred, he was a King Ranch horse who was a son of Bowl Venture, who was a Derby and Preakness winner. But in terms of just the, the physical situation, I would say he was the, the most unlikely.
1: Well, again, judging from that parameter that you base that on, I, I'd have to put Seattle slew in that mix, as great as he became, because let's face it, I know he had leg problems. Uh, he was called Baby Huey because he was kind of fat and awkward. Um, yeah. and I believe he only brought what seventeen five at the horse sale. Oh, seventeen five, yeah, that's yeah. right.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. In in terms of pedigree, he would, yeah. I, I think if you want to look at pedigree, he would, he would probably be the one that was most un, un unlikely. Even even though now his his sire stood at Claiborne Farm, so it wasn't like he was just a complete misfit, and the dam was a a stakes winner that came from a pretty good family that, uh, Mrs. Elizabeth Arden Graham of Main Chains farm had developed, but you're, you, you're right. $17,500 for, for a yearling in the 1970s. That, uh, uh, that, that makes him a, a pretty long, made him a pretty long shot.
1: Well, Ed, in, uh... In in writing this book, I know that you know you've written books about so many horses, and uh, obviously Triple Crown winners were involved in that. Was there anything you unearthed or uncovered about one of the earlier Triple Crown winners that you said, "Boy, that's the first time I realized that"?
3: You know, sort of collectively, I was struck by the the way the Triple Crown was treated, uh, and the, it, it really, there was a, a reporter named. Brian Field, who was had a wonderful career in racing, he was he was in the 1930 uh, New York Times the day after Gallant Fox won the, the Belmont. He used the phrase triple crown, and he he covered uh, between Gallant Fox and uh, Count Fleet in 1943. He covered all the triple crown winners. I guess that was uh, five, <laughs> and by the by 1943, uh, Count Fleet not only won the Derby in Preakness and Belmont, but he won the, uh, the, 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 uh, Wither Stakes and the Wood Memorial. And Brian Field, the man who had coined the phrase, Triple Crown in 1930, by 1943, he made reference to this horse is remarkable because he won all these five races, including the three Triple Crown races. And here's the thing that killed me. He said the three Triple Crown races, which had become commonplace, and that was the <laughs> stunner to me that there ever was a time that anybody could use that phrase commonplace about the Triple Crown. But uh, but it certainly the the amazing thing it, the the irony is that the Triple Crown during the years that it wasn't won it that that gave it this growing aura. It made it more important. Then, you know, like I say, from 1930 to 1948, there were seven, uh, having the first one having been in 1919, but that's a pretty good concentration, seven between 1930 and 1948. And then to go 25 years, it was, it became, uh, it took on mythic proportions because it wasn't one, which is a kind of a, kind of a, kind of a, counterintuitive saying that something became more important because it well, didn't happen. <laughs>
1: Ed, Ed, Ed Bowen, <clears throat> I've, uh, we just scratched the surface on this, but I'm sure I got my listeners uh, listen, pen in hand. The Lucky 13 would make a great Christmas gift. Where can they get a copy?
3: Well, uh, uh, I asked the publisher today, I said, "Can you can you give me any insight? He said, well, we don't like to choose one bookstore over the other. So just tell your listeners that it's available online and probably in local bookstores. And I love the, I love a bookstore and I love them. I wish I could tell you, but the publisher said just, uh, they're probably available in many bookstores, but I know they're available online. And that's, that's not the way I would like to be able to answer your question, but, but that's, that's the best I can do.
1: All right. Well, Ed Bowen, it's time for me to check out with you. It's great talking to you. want to thank you again for your consult about, uh, 40 years ago and, uh, <laughs> encourage me to stick with the photographer, uh, photography. And, uh, I wish you nothing but the best for the book and I'm sure our paths will cross again soon.
3: Well, I appreciate that. And I congratulate you on the way you made your career develop. You developed it and, uh, and thank you very much. And, uh, I hope your listeners uh, uh, are looking forward already to next year's Derby.
1: All right. That was Ed Bowen. Uh, I can't go through his resume again, but it is the author most recently of the Lucky 13. I'm John Engelhart, Going to take a quick break. and We come back with Mary Rampolini talking about the big races at Remington Park on Sunday.
2: Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: And they're off.
2: What?
0: Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass cores in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com.
1: All right, and I like when something is happening, usually in this southern-western part of America where the racing is, because the person I know I can go to is none other than the Daily Racing Forum's Mary Rampolini. Mary, how are you? Hi, John. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, because I'm talking to you. Well, we've got a
4: lot to talk about over at Remington Park for Sunday's races.
1: I, I do now. Before we get there, I want to talk about a question I asked you off the air. You cover races in Oklahoma, Texas. I'm going to say Louisiana. You you seem to be kind of everywhere. What's your what's your home base, and how do you manage getting all these tracks to cover these races?
4: Well, I live in the Dallas area, John, and that's kind of central to the Southwest market that I cover. And uh, during the Oakland season, the racing form has me me live in Hot Springs, Arkansas for that meet. But uh, the rest of the time, I kind of travel to the events that different tracks are having.
1: Well, good. Now I know who I'll call for some of those Oak Lawn races that we'll be covering. Uh, I I just fell in love with Hot Springs years ago. I haven't been back there for a while, but uh, I had the time of my life down there. I just love the way that city embraces racing and embraces uh, you know the people that 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 cover it. But I digress. Today we're going to talk about Remington Park and the fact that Sunday's getaway day at Remington. They're going to be closing out the season with uh, no less than six stake races uh before we get on to the races per se kind of paint the picture for us at remington this year um i think asmussen's the leading trainer am i correct there
4: you are you are correct steve Asmuson's having a very uh strong meet and will be very well represented on the uh 13 race card sunday uh david cabrera has been leading uh, the rider standings at remington and um uh We have End Zone Athletics and uh, Danny Caldwell have been atop the the owner standings uh, this meet. It it has been a good meet. They've had some strong strong cards. Oklahoma Derby Day, the handle was uh, over $3 million, and that was a track record for Remington back in September. And so that was a 13-race card, and this is their... Second biggest day of the meet Sunday. It's a 13-race card, and as you said, with the six stakes. So they are hoping to to close out with a bang here. Uh, I think the biggest draw on this card, John, is the $400,000 springboard mile, and that will uh, dole out some points for the Kentucky Derby. So that's the key race on the card, and that goes as race 12, and it's actually part of a... um, all states pick four on races ten through thirteen, and they will have a, a minimum guaranteed pool of hundred thousand um according to uh the officials at Remington that day
1: well uh yeah and I want to address that race first, but you know if you think about it uh the uh the $400,000 Remington Springboard Mile, it's one of the fastest-growing races in North America. Just 15 years ago, this one-mile race, back then it was called the Remington MEC Mile, it was worth $75,000. But they changed the date, and the steady purse increases, and all of a sudden you've turned it into a derby prep. Uh, congratulations to the people uh, at Remington for uh Taking their time, making the strides, and getting it done because I think a lot of eyes, especially since their cards on a Sunday, is going to get a lot of attention of the nation. Uh, Again, the Remington Springboard Mile, uh, of course, the top three finishers get automatic nominations to the Oklahoma Derby. uh, But they're going to get qualifying points. And looking at this race, Mary Rampolini, very very interesting. Of course, uh, Asmussen has three in here. He's got three in the trapeze. I think two in the She's All In and one in the Nightcap. The Jeff Hawk. Uh, but he's the leading trainer. But what's interesting is he's when you look at the horses that he's starting throughout this series on Sunday, a lot of them moved at Remington and he's been kicking. But, I mean, they really like this course. Uh, again, I'm going to start with the springboard mile. I'm going to touch on it real quick, then I want to get your, your input. But just talking about the Asmussen horses, you got Rowdy Yates that was running at Ellis and Churchill, brings him into Remington. The horse is two for two in stakes, of course. This is an Oklahoma bred that uh, the owner uh, paid 42000 for, but Asmussen uh, races it. Of course, we know his roots are right down there in Texas. Then you got Jungle Runner who started his career at Ellis, all of a sudden moves to Remington, loves the track uh that colt's two for two and then you got shoplifted who's the biggest question mark on class he looks like the standout eight hundred thousand dollar yearling but uh, he's kind of tailed off uh, since his second in the hopeful stakes but that could be the surface at san anita we don't know uh, i also see that uh his horses um outside of uh rowdy yates have had us bit of a layoff and a series of very successful works coming into this race and Mary Rampolini I'm going to shut up and let you take over the springboard mile
4: Well, I think you laid it out really nice John you know it's a good race Um, from the standpoint we've got some horses that maybe will answer some questions for people going forward into their three year old season I thought Embolden was an interesting horse in here he's been racing on the turf he's going to move over to the Back over to the main track, I should say. He's made one start on the dirt, and he's going to stretch out to two turns. He's a, a colt by the factor coming in for trainer Michael Stidham. And, and, and Michael Stidham said the reason the horse has been racing on turf so much was that there was some Virginia-bred opportunities for him at Colonial that they wanted to take advantage of. He ran well in those races, won the Jamestown Stakes, so they kind of kept him on the turf. But, uh, you know, he certainly has the pedigree for the dirt, and uh, did run well in his one dirt start. He's an interesting horse, I thought. And then uh, there's a couple of horses I think um, answer in will get a lot of play uh, coming off a, a maiden special weight win at Churchill, uh, for which he earned a buyer figure of 83. Very strong yes. race for him. You know, yeah, you you know the horse <laughs> that I'm speaking about. And then also Maximiliano. Uh, coming in for trainer, Wesley Ward, is another one of those sharp maiden winners out of Kentucky. He won a one last time, and he's been flattered. The second and third place horse both came back to win maiden special weights at Churchill. So those are some interesting horses. They are stepping into stakes company again, answering some questions, and they're both stretching out around two turns for the first time.
1: They are. And just to uh, comment on some of the horses you did, uh, I I find it interesting and a plus that Brian Hernandez Jr. is coming in to ride in Bolden. He's one of my favorite jacks, and he's been aboard some of the best. The question mark there is, uh, is there you know pedigree limitations and and the switch to, to the mile uh and i answer in i've got a nice old star by his name uh, this horse only <laughs> broke its maiden last time but i noticed that brad cox took the blinkers off after a really good effort in his debut then goes a little bit farther at seven furlongs boy that 83 buyer uh, caught my uh, eye and uh you know, this is one of those, as they say, this horse could be any kind. And I do see that Javier Castellanos coming in uh, to ride him. So two of the horses that you just uh, uh, talked about are to be watched. So with everything that, that we've said, this is extremely wide-open race from a betting perspective.
4: Yeah, I think it's a, it will be a very interesting race that way. Because you could go a lot of different ways, as you just said. There's, you know, horses that are not proven at a stakes level, but they're proven at the mile. There's horses proven at a stakes level, but that aren't proven at two turns. And, uh, you, you know, you've got some turf, <laughs> turf horses in there. And, um, you know, like I said, it is a very interesting race. It should start to answer some questions as we move into uh, the three-year-old uh, season with these horses in January.
1: Yeah, we'll find out. I mean, there are only two months, and it's getting awful <laughs> close to uh, uh, midnight on New Year's Eve, so they got to get their race <laughs> in now. Uh, speaking of two-year-olds, let's go back to one of the earlier, uh, richer races on the card, even though there's six stakes. Uh, but the uh, the Trapeze uh, is $100,000, and uh, this one is for two-year-old fillies. And again these horses most of them are coming out of either restricted races for state breeds of or Oklahoma or they're coming out of maiden efforts, so this is another crapshoot. But, I mean, look at this. You've got a Daughter of Curlin trained by Asmussen. He's got three in this race. You've got a Pioneer of the Nile trained by Asmussen, who has been running at a mile, loves Remington, is two for two. And I want to ask if you know anything about this horse, because I was awful impressed with its debut, was Honey Hush, Luis Quinones in the saddle, trained by Joe offer I'm probably ruining his name, but boy, that was an impressive debut, Mary.
4: Very impressive, and this is an interesting horse, and it's interesting you point her out. Um, uh, first of all, I do want to let you know that she is entered in an allowance on Saturday at Remington, so she's cross-entered in this spot. Um, she does look good on here on paper. She's going to bring that best you know, career buyer in the 70 buyer for her win last time. And yes, she was very impressive. A couple of horses have flattered her come back and won out of that race. Um, but what's interesting is <laughs> her rider, Luis Quinones, um, his family, his wife is the breeder of this horse. This has kind of got a lot of nice family connections. Oh, yeah. Uh, Luis's old agent, Jerry Delora, who has since passed away, Gave Luis the horse "Kiss Me, Chocolate." The dam of this horse, and so Luis's family at his farm has the mother and some of her daughters, and there were, you know, Luis's wife is racing this horse. So it's just kind of a unique family situation, and and uh, looks like it looks like a Honey hushkin can run. <laughs>
1: That would make a great story for you, without a doubt. But, uh, you know, again, you know, if if you said, well, John, you're going to the betting window, who do you like? I got to give a little push to Asmussen's uh, Princessina Julia. I mean, owned and bred by Three Chimneys, started out, you know, at Ellis and Churchill. And all of a sudden it almost looked like, hey, I'm taking this horse to Remington to get it ready for one of those stakes on closing day. And this very well could be the spot
4: yeah and she's um really bred to be a nice silly uh, as you mentioned she's a pioneer of the Nile, and she's also out of uh, love and pride who was a multiple grade one winner that you probably remember so um certainly certainly bred to be bred to be one of the ones in here
1: all right we're talking with Mary rampolini uh, who covers the races in the southwest for the daily racing form and as for Many a years, though she's still just a kid, you can tell by her voice. Um, She's all in, 100,000 at a mile and 70 yards. Uh, This one, gee, Asmussen only had two that he could get in the gate. Uh, But I'd have to say, you know, looking at these horses, the class edge has to go to Brad Cox's Remedy.
4: Yeah, I'm on the same page with you there, John. Yeah, I mean, you see Midnight Basu, She's a Julie in the, in that in those running lines, and what's also interesting is she's got some Remington form because she was second in the Remington Park Oaks last year.
1: Oh yeah, you got to go back a ways, but she was.
4: Yeah, so, so she's uh, at least has some familiarity, surface familiarity, and uh, I guess she's going back to two turns off the one turn mile and. Uh, So, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing for her either. You know, she's the winner at two turns as
1: well. Well, here's a horse that, uh, again, we were talking about the kind of setup for uh, what Muse is is doing on Sunday at Remington. Started on the West Coast. Somebody decided to make a change from the Baffert barn. And all of a sudden, this horse shows up at Remington. And uh, all she does is break her maiden by 14. And a quarter lengths, and then come back for a nine. Winners of two wins by 13 and a quarter. I, I don't know uh, what change in her feet or training he's done, though I see her doing nothing but bullet works in the morning. Mm-hmm. This horse could be dangerous. Blue Moonrise.
4: I will find it interesting to see what the public does from a betting standpoint between Remedy and Blue Moonrise. Who do you think will go off the favorite?
1: Well, local people like local horses, so I wouldn't be surprised to say, uh, you know, blue moon rise. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, it depends on how sharp your handicappers are. I'm probably going to put Remedy on top.
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I do think it will It will just be kind of interesting to see how it plays out, you know. So, um, yeah, I think those are, are, are chief players. I, I think, um, you know, Rosa Malibu of Philly, That there's consideration in here as well. Um, she's, a uh, you know, a local allowance winner and, and a half sister to shotgun gulch, a grade one winner for the trout barn. Uh, so, uh, she's just kind of a nice filly, I think.
1: All right. My producer's telling me I only got two minutes to post before we got to go, Mary Rampolini. So <laughs> help me on the 13th, cause I had a hard time. Uh, all I know is that there's going to have to be a whole lot of pace up front. To get looking at Lee in the winner's circle, I find this. Now, don't forget, looking at Lee was a runner-up in the Kentucky Derby. You know, he's five now, uh, so he's he's obviously got talent. But this horse is usually in a different zip code in the early running. Assmussen, five-year-old horse, taking the blinkers off. Yeah, he.
4: You could get some of your pace that you're wanting here. I, I will say, John. I mean, Shotgun Cowboy's a quick horse. Sleepy Eyes Todd is a quick horse, quality rocket stretching out. He he could get kind of a nice setup, pop popularity a front runner. So maybe maybe you will get the right kind of setup in here. It's a very interesting race. I, I thought Sleepy Eyes Todd was very interesting off of his uh runner-up finish in the Oklahoma Derby. He he just ran a bang-up race. He ran his heart out uh to run second there to Owendale, who we who we all know is a very nice individual. So
1: Sure. Yeah, but, but uh, uh, long, yeah, looking
4: at leave the old man. <laughs> he, to is, sleepy he is sleepy-eyed Todd taking on they, the older
1: I, rivals. <laughs> I know they forget. They're like, did that horse run in the Kentucky Derby? It's like hell yeah, he did. <laughs> again, he's going to need that pace scenario to get up. It's probably been frustrating for Ass Music because he knows he's got a healthy and fit horse. I mean. He's run second six times, and with only four wins in his career, Mary has won over one point three million dollars. So you know that he's been running against good competition, but boy, it's tough. That finish line just comes up quicker than he can get there. Uh, this is a mile and seventy yards. Um, I, again, I, you know, every now and then I have to admit I'm probably going to pass on this race because I just there, there, there's there's nothing that comes up and 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 grabs me but it's going to be a great card we didn't even mention uh, some of the horses on the uh, undercard and now these races will be for our listeners at central time so uh check it out uh, when you when you do handicap the races so you're not missing anything from home so change your watches and tune into remington and pull up the daily racing form and read mary rampolini mary thanks so much for joining us on winning ponies i love having you on
4: John, thanks so much. I had a fun time talking
1: to you. All right. That was uh, Mary Rampolini from the Daily Racing Forum. Uh, I want to thank Edward Bowen for joining us. Again, the lucky 13 is the name of his new book that's out, talking about uh, how those horses got to be a part of history as Triple Crown winners. And with all this racing all over, like I said, a lot of good races down at the fairgrounds, down at Gulfstream. Of course, you've got these races. That, it's all over the country. And boy, that gets hard to handicap. Come on over to Winning Ponies and pull down the easy win forms. So, want to thank our guests for joining us. I want to thank you for listening. Spread the love and tell people it's on podcast for winning ponies i'm john Engelhart. have a great week
0: thanks for listening to winning ponies with john Engelhart. we hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post join us for more insight next thursday at 8 p.m eastern time 5 p.m pacific on the voice america variety channel also look for our weekly newsletter Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.